the biggest crisis, despite of what we have as problems across the globe, I believe is quite strongly the crisis of unfulfilled potentials, which is what leads to what we see, geopolitical conflicts and misunderstandings over mostly trivia, and that trivia translates into deaths, and well, there is a history and it's how it happens. In Youth We Trust sits down with successful entrepreneurs, business leaders, educators, and others from around the world. We spotlight how individuals and organizations are shaping a better world, directly or indirectly, for the coming generations through their focus on sustainability, equity, education, and more to empower young people to create the future they deserve. And now, in Youth We Trust. If you want to hear a straight-talking neuropsychologist using AI, computer vision, and cognitive psychology to help young people fulfill their true potential, then dive into this episode with me as I speak to Dr. Raul Rodriguez. Originally from Spain, Raul has spent the last 11 years working and teaching in India and has weathered everything life has thrown at him in this period to stay true to his mission. Raul is witty, straight-talking, and really enjoyable to talk to. Good afternoon, Raul. Uh, it is a pleasure to have you on the podcast in Youth We Trust. Hi, Prashant. Nice to be here. That's brilliant, Raul. Um, I'm excited to have you here uh, as, as, a, as a guest who has a very different uh, profile to some of the people that I have been talking to. And the reason I say that is you are someone who grew up in Spain, has spent time in, you know, in various roles, um, you know, growing up, but in education in Hungary and Colombia, but then actually have made India your base in the last 11 years. Uh, that's, that's fascinating. And you're still very much involved in higher education. Um, so Raul, without much ado, I wanted to actually just start with the question I ask every one of my guests. And uh, that guest is, you know, you're aware of the fact that Lumi runs quests, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which empower young people to build the skills for the future. So I want to take you back to um, when you were growing up in Spain, when you were a child um, or a university student. What is there a problem that you saw around you or is there a quest that you wanted to go on to? Uh, okay, so firstly, I was always involved actively in semi-professional sports and then subsequently professional sports before I ended up into this beautiful business of academia. The biggest crisis, despite of what we have as problems across the globe, I believe is quite strongly the crisis of unfulfilled potentials, which is what leads to what we see, geopolitical conflicts and misunderstandings over mostly trivia. And that trivia translates into deaths. And, well, there is a history and it's how it happens. Now, the quest was primarily that, how firstly to understand myself and subsequently try to help the ecosystem. So when it comes to that, it opens up a paradigm of let us try and upgrade the 
en entire behavioral environment of the ecosystem you are in. And that quest has not ended. I'm still at that. Now in academia, much more slower pace because, well, unfortunately, academia is not the is not Formula One, so it runs into a different scenario. <laughs> but that quest is running. I think the most critical one, and anyhow, we are busy in organizing COP28, so that is where the world is moving. That is true. Um, in what context do you mean COP28? Primarily sarcastic or satiric. Uh, why I'm telling you, uh, basically, firstly, first and foremost, Middle East is certainly not the idealistic by ethics and morals locations of, of climate change. I mean, it's quite ridiculous. Now, we organized it. We know why it was organized there. It's not a secret. It's like the FIFA World Cup in Qatar. Um, we are really not going to change anything. Uh, that's because Greta Thunbergs of the world will come and shout. That's not going to make a change. What will make a change is actually educating exactly what do we need to modify in our behavior. Uh, or our approach to use of plastics and fossil fuels, mm. etc., etc. That's why I did psychology. And that's why I got into the constant production of knowledge creation and dissemination, which is still running uh, at an abysmal pace. But the problem with this generation, which I observe daily in different universities, is that crisis of unfulfilled potential. They don't know where to shoot. They don't have a purpose. Neither do they have anybody to tell them that, how to mentor them correctly. So, yeah, largely, I'm still at that. So you started by talking about sport. You went into psychology. And then you are now in education. Um, you're, you know, the quest is still running. And, you know, if I actually sum it up, your quest is to help realize unfulfilled potential in young people, yeah. right? And that you believe is one way of reducing tensions in the world. Yeah, largely, largely about it. Uh, why I'm saying this is not just a subjective opinion. <clears throat> There's an empirical data for it. Um, one of the research orientations I've taken, both in the form of author books as well as uh, peer-reviewed journals is the retrofitting back past theories of philosophy, both Eastern and Western, as well as psychological theories, which I briefly summed up recently a couple of days back and put it on a PDF and put it on LinkedIn. There is a, something called an 80-year rule, which actually does happen if you look at it historically uh, in different scenarios. And we are again at it. Today you may have also, as, as of 3rd of January, you may have read the news that the Harvard president had to resign. Uh, I mean, it is, it is ridiculous. And it is a problem that now lobbies and industry runs universities, which is the only place we have left for knowledge creation and dissemination, which is going against the quest I had, which was nurturing that thought process. Fortunately, in the university I'm at in Hyderabad, at least uh, having certain freedom of operation being private, we can still mold as we like and do as we feel. But yes, the quest does not change. And I don't think in 2024 it will change much either. But the problem starts in the schools, uh, not primarily in higher education. 
And when you say the problem starts in school, so how is it that that you can actually, how can we influence the schools? Um, and also, you know, how can we equip the coming generation with these skills that you're talking about more effectively? Well, there are various methods for it. First and foremost, we tend to go always uh, in a censorship sort of positioning, especially in schools and others. The same problem has with AI. Again, a different example and a scenario. The first thought process was, let's regularize it and let's launch the AI Act, uh, which is an EU Act, which has overreaching capabilities for financial uh, overreach. They are not thinking of how to progress. The same happens with the schools. It's a very old method of Pavlov, the experimentation with the reward and punishment, which is reinforcement learning. Finland and some other Nordic countries, they try to take other approaches. But the question is, is this nature, nature or nurture? Can you, are you actually born as a being who can, who can, can rationalize thoughts logically? Or do you have to be punished? in order to learn. When you train them in the fashion, they come to higher education as a very strange product because you cannot ask them to do critical thinking. They don't know what that is. It's not that they don't want to do it. They're not able to do it because they're never given the opportunity to do it. And then there are huge limitations around that. So I'm expected to mold people who will never be able to mold anymore because their prime years of molding are over. And now it's too late. So that's the same problem that happens across the globe. It's a very, very good point. And the same happens in the US. I saw that in Brazil firsthand. In fact, that was one of the big reasons why we found out Brazilians struggle to speak English. It was not because they were stupid. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's a really, really wonderful country. The reason was that their school education systems were not pushing hard enough to develop the ability in people on how to learn. So when they became adults, learning a new and a difficult language was impossible. So the dropout rates are, were very low. And in spite of the English learning industry being in that country for over 50 years, uh, only a shade over 2% of the country speaks English. So how how did you end up choosing India as a destination? Uh, well, probably by mistake, I suppose. Uh, and I don't mean it in the, in the wrong way. I mean it <laughs> in the sense of chance. Uh, I firstly applied for the Rotary International Youth Exchange Program, which is organized all over the world. I had three options. One was India, one was Taiwan, and one was South Africa. Uh, Back then, South Africa, probably like today, it's in a complex situation, so not very advisable back then. Taiwan, more of the same. So India was the option, because I did not, go to, I did not want to go to places like the US and Canada. I come from Spain, so honestly, it's going to be more of a copy-paste, uh, nice life, infrastructure, and very easy lifestyle. I wanted tough. I wanted to see a different culture. I wanted to go to the East. So I came to India, I first went to Mumbai. I had the chance at least to, to spend some time in St. Xavier's College in Mumbai, um, which had some abysmal 100,000 plus students, which is obviously a huge number. Uh, 
but still, being a place where it's in central Bombay, mix of people, I had the option of doing ethnographic research, basically on the field research uh, in Darabi, which is one of the largest, world largest slums. And I saw a different social dynamics, it's like a micro city within a micro city. And lastly, in the last four years, right before COVID, I shifted to Hyderabad. And now I'm here, but I have traveled and spent time all over the place now. And now I found myself after almost 11 years, I'm the only foreigner running a university in this country. So it's challenging. And by challenging, I don't mean it in a, in a, in a negative way, but mostly in a endurance-based way. So far, people are telling me I, don't look, I, I look a bit Indian now, a bit from North India. So it seems the features have now caught up to me, which is good uh, in that regard. But still, there is, there is a sentiment against, against foreign settlements in India uh, somewhere, probably because of, of a large, a long time colonization as well. But it's quite funny because, well, you know, Indians export a lot of talent, but they don't want to get it. Uh, they want, they want to remain true, yeah. a silo. But that happens. I face a lot of discrimination and racism. The point is, you grow through it uh, or you perish. And I chose to grow through it because giving up is not really my, in my DNA for that matter. So if I'm here, I will make sure I'm all. That uh, is not my culture, ultimately. I have to adjust to it. And I have so far. It's incredible, Raul, because... Um... I can totally relate to the points you're saying in terms of um, the time it takes to be accepted and not feeling fully accepted. So let's let's focus on what are you doing on the positive side? You know, a Spanish guy with lots of world experiences working in the southeastern part of India. How are you making a difference in shaping the lives of the coming generations, in spite of all the constraints? I mostly focus on three aspects, which are the three which students keep on hearing, which is making, making sure you're clear, you're concise, and you're critical. Now, these activities, along with various other skills, which are considered soft skills for some, for some joy, uh, are the actual critical skills. Uh, we make sure now that all the degrees, all the courses, all the students are exposed to social sciences, uh, that to very particular courses on self-introspection, on cognitive psychology to oneself first. So all those are credit courses. They have to do it by default in every degree, be it architecture or be it management degrees. They have, there was a bit of resistance uh, because, well, nobody wants to think, uh, thinking stuff. And plus, thinking of yourself and insulting yourself is even tougher because you have to insult yourself. We organized a lot of debates uh, recently. Again, we get criticized. We is not the word. I get criticized because I'm the one driving it. But we invited the ambassador of Israel uh, to, to give a debate session, fireside chat, whatever you want to call it. And there were tough questions asked, obviously, like, linking to terror attacks and the like of what is happening now. But the students actually were able to think back history, link back current happenings, 
and ask valid questions as well as getting valid answers from a diplomatic uh, representative in the country. So that shows that they are able to introspect and they're able to put across thoughts without sounding insulting and without sounding offensive, at the same time extracting the information they need. So I'm not concerned that they will get a job in life. I'm, for, I'm sure they will get a job and they will progress in life on their own lines. But I'm more concerned on what kind of humans I will send out. Because at the end of the day, for whatever reasons and whatever karma they ended up here, if they ended up here, ultimately, for the next three to four years of their life, is my responsibility to make them at least good humans. What they do after that, whether they want to become a cyclist or a monk or they want to work in JP Morgan, that's not my problem. And asking them to question everything and then take informed decisions accordingly, which they have never done in their lives. And it's not just in India. That's, that's the problem. It's not, it's, not, it's not one country's problem. It's, it's a massive problem. Massive problem. So that's going to take some work around. But unfortunately, we are going to get quite distracted with, again, COP28 or elections and World Cups. Now Olympic Games are coming up in Paris. So again, three, four months will be occupying the news on medals, which actually does not affect our life. Our, my life is not going to change because somebody gets a gold medal. But it's a psychological gamification that happens there. So keeping the population entertained for the time being. That's the, that's the real problem. But nobody will see it. That's a big challenge. This episode is brought to you by Lumi.network. We're on a mission to help the next generation prepare to take on the world. Our AI augmented platform runs quests that help 10 to 25 year olds shape their future by developing AI, entrepreneurship, and design thinking skills to solve the most pressing business and social issues. If you or your organization wants to impact the next generation positively, we'd love to talk to you. To learn more, visit lumi.network. I want to pick up on one, that point that you make about the Olympics. Uh, and you are actually calling uh, a number of things like the elections, uh, COP28, as distractions, uh, you know, when it comes to our quest to develop um, uh, yeah. I think not just young people, but humanity in the right way. But I think on the Olympic side, you started this discussion by saying, you know, you looked at the world of sport. Isn't that inspiring a lot of people to do, you know, use their skills constructively? Isn't that in a way helping equalize access? So why are you critical of the Olympics? The Olympics, the sports are not a problem. The Olympics is an organization just like any other political driven organization. The FIFA World Cup in Qatar last year, when it was organized in Qatar, empowered by the European Union, there was a case happening big months later called the Qatar Gate. Again, corruption. Uh, so... Everything leads back to human greed and it leads back to, let me see how to manipulate a large portion of the population and how to distract them. If you see every year, you will observe it for the last 15 years, every year there will be two to four major events to keep people entertained. 
And entertainment is fine, but not at the cost of producing a self-induced ignorance. So you can be just in the dark side of things. Because just see what is happening in this 2024. There are elections in three major places, India being one of them, but US as well. And there is there are other major locations, even in smaller countries in Africa, which play a major role. Um, alongside you're putting Olympics and you're putting other major events happening in the place. Why all of these important events with a so-called AI development uh, is taking place? Again, this was already discussed in the 16 and 1700s, including by our great friend Machiavelli, uh, who deduced how the use of power and the obtention of power can be taken. And then, well, before that, Sun Tzu in the art of war also did it. So it's nothing new. If you are strong, look weak. If you are weak, look strong. And if you can distract them and do some charade in order to keep them entertained, please do that. Because that's what will keep people busy. <laughs> and their minds will be occupied. So that's what happens. And we just don't seem to either care or learn about it. We're just not bothered. Mm. And our yeah, lives are, are yeah. too occupied with it. Well, I think so, some of the things we're talking about are things that we do not control. So the Olympics have a four-year cycle that seems to coincide with, with elections in this instance. But regardless, I think, I think there is an aspect about you that we haven't even touched. And that is that you are you know, deep into AI and machine learning. How do you see uh, AI now influencing positively and negatively the problems that you are trying to solve? Well, on the negative side, they, they have been a substantial hype with generative AI and ChatGPT and derivative products by Google and Microsoft. The problem is that, firstly, there was a void, and then that void of some years between so-called innovations were filled with generative AI, which was anyways cooking for almost 25 years. And suddenly, everybody has become an AI expert. Uh, everybody is giving keynotes on AI. And most importantly and more worrying, we are trying to over-optimize everything. Not everything needs optimization. Uh, that is very important to remember. We think that everything, if you put AI, AI in finance, AI in marketing, suddenly becomes fancy. The problem is that we have crossed a border now in which we are in a constant rat, rat race and Hobson's choice from Microsoft to Google and others. On the other hand, AI has enabled, and I think it will really redefine, especially education system, when it comes to self-teaching and self-monitoring. Uh, particularly, I've been working on, on two major research projects. One has been a, a development of an advanced multimodal system on, on GPT mentors. So you will have your own, as a student, you will have your own personalized GPT mentor who will regularize your learning in a particular subject and you will only progress once the GPT mentor clears you. So the faculty or the teacher in the school will not be able, will not be doing the constant monitoring, but you will have a sort of tuition for yourself driven by AI and its mechanisms. And it has past data, so it can always generate new data. On the other hand, one important development, I think, will be segmentation of, of people. Uh, now, people may think many times that dividing people is grown, 
and incorrect. Now, the proposal is very simple. You have data from high school, their degree, and their alumni, the past students as well. You draw that data and draw conclusions from it, and you segregate people, giving them purpose, and you put them in categories of making sure that they are, if they are entrepreneurs, they go into entrepreneurial track. If they are supposed to end up in a C-level-like position, based on their skill set and data provided, they will go into that particular track. So they will be divided into self-learning, personalized tracks, not into everybody learns everything, because that is clearly not working out. There are challenges to it, uh, many challenges, but that's where really things will change, particularly in the education field. In other fields, there is going to be a void. There are going to be job losses, and new jobs will come up, and people will have to upskill. There is no other option, and that's the only alternative now. So, in a country like India, uh, when I talk to business leaders and uh, and even people in the government, they're saying, some of them are saying that it's actually a huge opportunity for India. How do you see it at the at the ground level? Do you see this as something that should be seen as a threat because it's going to, as you rightly point out, take away jobs? Or do you think it is actually going to start changing the way young people develop or the workforce is able to now um, get into new kinds of jobs? Uh, it's going to certainly wipe out certain blue-collar jobs and, and rural areas for sure. The root cause, especially in countries like India with a gross population which is rural, that will hit home. On the other hand, other areas like agriculture will get benefited, but you will lose people in the, in the process and there will be protests, there will be riots, there will probably be crimes as well. But if you want to do an industrial revolution, that, that collateral damage is, is, is slightly unavoidable up to a point. Mm. So is it a net positive or a net negative for a country like India with a large young population? For the educated population, it will be positive, but for the other ones, unlikely to happen. Because they don't understand what is happening. They don't even know what it is. That is very true. That's very true. Yeah. So uh, let's take a worldview. Right. I mean, I want to uh, I want to now just go straight into the future. And given your background, uh, give me a sense of where do you see the world in 2040? You know, 2040. OK, we have to be there for that. But OK, uh, if <laughs> if that happens, if everything goes all right and we don't screw ourselves and shoot in the foot, then in that case, there will be certain countries which I will not come and mention because that will bite me back, but there will be certain countries which will cease to exist. There will be some mergers and the same corporations we know today will probably not be there. There will be other evolutions happening. Um, hopefully not, but there will probably be a World War III by that time. And by looking at estimations and health conditions, likely at least one more pandemic uh, of some other kind will happen. So that is on the negative front. Uh, on the positive front, the technological developments should have been through the roof by that time. Uh, we should have found a solution at least to the fossil fuels back then. 
And when it comes to higher education, honestly, I don't think many universities, or as we know it, will still exist. They will have a different mode of operation. And it may not even be called universities anymore. It may be called something else. So that's probably where it's going to lead in the next 16-odd years, approximately. Yeah, that's really interesting at this point in time when it's very difficult to say one can only be hopeful um, on the positive side i agree with you i think uh, ai might help us or technology might help us solve the problem of climate uh, hopefully fast enough so that we don't actually again go over the cliff um, and uh, it, it is ultimately also going to eradicate diseases i think uh, raul in conclusion I feel like you've got a huge amount of wisdom in uh, having gone through uh, either serendipitously or by choice, in some cases, very, very different experiences to what an average person in your position might go through, right? Not all of them have been enjoyable, but I think they are putting you in a very unique position to be in the largest most populous country of the in the world and thank you for sharing very very honest perspectives with with me thank you very much for having me thanks for listening if you found this conversation valuable please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts if you have a story or someone you know does please recommend them to us by email at hello at lumi.network we'll see you next time on in youth we trust